Hello, this is Nick Holland with Information Security Media Group, and I'm joined today by Nick Carstensen, who is the Technical Product Evangelist at Greylog. Nick, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Nick. Thanks for having me on. Starting off, I think, with the first question here, let's look at a, a big breach that's occurred recently and what were overlooked. So, so please you know, give me an example of a breach. And then what were the specific things that were overlooked there? What made that happen? Um, so I, wa I want to talk a little bit today about the Capital One breach that happened in 2019. I want to give you an overview from the attacker and actually who did that breach, as well as what, what kind of data was taken, what were some steps that maybe could have helped determine this a little bit quicker, and all of that. So again, you know, the Capital One breach was in 2019, and it actually it happened on March 22nd and 23rd. Um, this was done by a lady named Paige Thompson, um, was the actual attacker that did that, um, but it did cause Capital One to have one of its largest data breaches. They were able to access, you know, hundreds of millions of Capital One subscriber accounts, information around that, credit card application data as well. Um, now, they found out throughout their investigation that no actual credit card numbers were taken, as well as no logon information data itself. But all the, the surrounding data of how to apply for a credit card was taken. So a lot of fraud and understanding how do people apply for loans and all that data was compromised. Now, while this attack did occur on March 22nd and 23rd, kind of spanned over two days, they found out it wasn't actually discovered until the uh, July 19th. So it was 119 days it sat there where they had that data from type infection time all the way to the actual breach recognition time. Now, Paige herself, she used to work at Amazon. She was a software engineer on the AWS team, but she didn't have any inside knowledge of this environment, although Capital One's data environment that did get breached was housed on the Amazon infrastructure. What she did is she actually created a program that would scan different sites for a web application firewall or a WAF a vulnerability. She created this tool in her spare time. She went off and scanned a bunch of environments. Um, it, of course, it did bounce off Amazon's infrastructure, and she was able to breach into Capital One's organization at that time. And she, once she got into this web application misconfiguration, she was actually able to grab some credentials. So it was more of an administrative credentials for that um, web application firewall and other systems below that. And when she had those administrative credentials, she could go ahead and do additional things. So once she had that data, she was able to break into the actual systems that housed the data, that housed all this financial data of, of application loan processing and the different um, accounts themselves. And she was able to gather all that data and then exfiltrate that up. And when she actually had that data, um, she would end up putting that up on something like called GitHub, which is a big repository of code, um, but you can also just put files and data out there. So she uploaded that file out to that system. She also was talking on um, Slack and other channels that said, hey, I found this massive trove of data. Uh, I didn't know what to do with it, so I uploaded it here. I wanted to get it off my system to free up space. She's also been accredited to hacking other types of systems as well. So it wasn't just the Capital One that she was tied to. She's also tied to universities um, outside of the outside of the countries, um, telecom, uh, telecom companies as well, and then some state agencies as well. But when she was breaking into those systems, she was actually using a tool called CryptoJacking, um, which is installing Bitcoin mining software on those endpoints and using their compute resources. She never did get to that with the Capital One breach, um, but that was kind of her MO, was to break in, take data, and also install CryptoJacking tools. And again, like I mentioned, she was on Slack talking about stealing this data, and she uploaded that for GitHub, or when some of the people that were on the GitHub channel actually saw this, they realized what data it was, they alerted the authorities. That's the way she got caught and kind of brought to the FBI's attention. And right now, Capital One uh, was kind of estimating this whole breach just alone of providing like the LifeLock service 
and the different types of credit monitoring is currently around $150 million is what they're estimating. This, this is outside of everything else, of course, that will come because of that. So, Nick, I mean, you touched on a lot of the things that happened there. Just to recap, I mean, what was overlooked? Uh, definitely. There's, there's four main ones that I, I realized from reading this and understanding kind of the attack itself. And the first one, kind of the way that she got into the system at first, the way that she got those initial credentials was around a misconfigured firewall, uh, web, web application firewall or WAF. So obviously configuration management is key for any organization to do. You want to make sure that your configuration on all of your security devices is as tight as possible, that you're maintaining the patches as well. A lot of times they'll come out with new security updates that might fix you know, a broken issue. We want to make sure those are patched up so there's no backdoors that are easily scriptable to get into that environment. As well as that, something that we should be putting in place is any kind of configuration change usually creates some sort of an alert or a log as well. We want to capture those so we know, is an administrator going in and making a backdoor? Are they doing anything they should? So let's capture those logs just to keep them in a centralized spot. Right? Uh, the second one is really around user monitoring. So while that command that she ran is not a normal command that should ever be ran on the system, uh, it obviously did run and did not trigger an event to say, hey, something like this command is ran on the system. It's something awkward that's not a normal web interaction. Um, let's bring that to my attention. Uh, the other one was the user information logging on. So after she did gather those credentials, she was able to log on externally outside of the system and get access to the raw data underneath the systems. There should be some form of monitoring. Where are your users coming from? What kind of data are they accessing? Are they, is it always in the United States? Is it always in one specific state? Or maybe it's abroad in a couple different countries. But being able to do geolocation tagging and understanding where your clients are coming from and your users is obviously a key and something that was missed in this example. And then the last one really that I had is really the traffic logs. So she was able to break in and then absorb a bunch of data and then exfiltrate that out. So uploading it to, to somewhere. And in her case, she had ended up uploading it to GitHub after her laptop. But we should be monitoring traffic in general and understanding patterns of normal behavior. If normally you're uploading per client maybe a megabyte of traffic, but in this case, you're uploading 10 gigs of data. Uh, that's obviously something that should be brought to your attention. Okay, very good. So, I mean, this this is a obviously a very high-profile data breach in the, the sheer scale of the uh, numbers of accounts that were exposed. But, um, but despite that, if you look at this as just kind of a, a, a normal data breach, I mean, how, how representative is this for a data breach, and what else could go wrong, in fact? You're right. This one is a very high-profile customer. Obviously, Capital One's very well-known. Uh, but it is very similar to normal breaches that happen. I mean, the misconfiguration, which was the initial infection point or the initial breach point, is the third largest cause of hacking. And if you look at, like, the Verizon data report, the first one is always the stolen credentials. So somebody just knows your password or finds it on a sticky note. Uh, but the misconfiguration is the third one. And those are the two that really happened in this environment. She breached in via misconfiguration and then stole some credentials, which became kind of the first main way of attack. So the attack itself is very common amongst everybody. Uh, misconfigurations leading to compromised credentials. So definitely that is very common. Um, you'll also find that a lot of times these people are hacking uh, for uh, three main reasons. One is obviously financial gain. You know, they, they want to take the data. She's using crypto jacking before because that's a quick way to generate revenue normally. Uh, but she also wants to do it for bragging purposes because she got the data, uploaded it to something public like GitHub, and then talked about it on Slack. So a little bit is like her being respected in the industry for creating this hack and doing something that she can then show off to everyone else. And that's very common as well. Uh, and then kind of the last part in there is that the kind of the time to detection, while it was determined on Slack 
because of other people that reported this. Um, the timeline that she had here of 119 days to detection is actually pretty low. So that is a differentiator. I mean, most people are around 200 days on average. The most breach reports now, like the Verizon one as well, they're, they're estimating 200 day dwell time. Now, this one was down to 120 days. So it did help it to be noticed a little earlier. Obviously, we want to get that down to you know a couple hours to a day at the most. Um, just really the last thing that I wanted to talk about, about kind of the representation of other breaches that are happening, is while Capital One was able to figure this one out, and they did it, obviously, through a few methods. They seen somebody post something out publicly. They were alerted to that, and they were able to find and backtrace everything that happened. I want to note that that's kind of an unusual case. A lot of times, companies and smaller customers in general don't have that ability to retrace the footsteps of what happened. So to have something out there, a tool that can help them paint a picture of what's happened post-breach is obviously key to understanding how much data did get compromised. So what we'll find is smaller companies, they'll, they'll know a breach happened because the FBI or some credit card company will reach out to them and say, we noticed all these cards came through you and they're all compromised now. So it's you got breached somewhere. And they're, they just end up throwing their hands up and saying, I don't know how far they got. I'm assuming everything in my network's compromised. Capital One was able to say, in this case, yes, I know we were breached. Here's the exact data that they took. They did not take credit card numbers, so I know that's safe. And they did not take um, any type of you know personal log on information. So them having that ability to trace where it happened obviously provided them a much um, better security blanket. So they know they don't have to just throw their hands up and say everything's been compromised. One of the things that has uh, happened in the wake of this is that uh, Capital One has had to pay substantial costs for lifelock coverage for people who have, have been victims of this particular breach. But this is, I mean, that's that's just maybe the tip of the iceberg. Could you maybe touch on some of the other cascading factors that happened as a result of the breach? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, like you mentioned, obviously, there is the whole financial aspect of that. You, you have brand reputation, your stock price is going to dip, you have to provide services to these people. Um, but the other big one that a lot of people do not think about is, in this case, if when you research everything about happened to Capital One, Amazon is actually getting sued now, too. So they are a third-party vendor or a different service provider that Capital One was using. And because they are getting sued, they're also looking at the, their vendors like Amazon and saying, well, why did you provide me a WAF that was misconfigured or didn't have the relevant patches on that? So understanding that a lot of your service providers can actually be responsible and held liable for some of this is obviously a key point people need to take into consideration. And if you look at other big breaches like the Target one uh, that happened a few years ago, um, the Target one was all, all done through uh, HVAC contractor. So it's just somebody that wasn't even their security environment. This guy came on site to fix a HVAC and had some malware on his system, and all that broke out from that guy's laptop. So a lot of these new a lot of the new security postures and policies that are coming out is how do I vet third-party systems and contractors? How do I understand that they're secure? Do I have to get insurances from them? They say, if something happens because you're on my environment, you have a certificate of insurance. That, then I can prove to my auditors that I'm covered in case you guys breach me. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I think an interesting fact is what it, it's, it's third parties of third parties potentially as well. So it's, um, yes. you know, it's, it's where does your liability end and theirs begin? But certainly it's, it's a growing area of concern given the number of, cloud-based uh, solutions that are out there and uh, this reliance, I guess, on, on third parties for so many products and services. But Nick, let me ask you one final question then, which would be what steps should be taken proactively for, I mean, Capital One, but, but in fact, really any organization given the state of cybersecurity? Yeah, oh, a good question there. Um, I guess I like to always start off that, that kind of question because people ask this a lot. 
And I think if you take a step back and think of everything in general, we have to realize that everyone's being targeted now. It used to be that it was the biggest clients out there, the Walmarts, the, you know, the Amazons, things like that, that were getting targeted. But now even the small mom and pop shops get attacked. Um, so we want to keep that up front there. And you have to also take into consideration that some of these large customers like Capital One obviously had a huge security budget. They had that ability to buy the best tools on the market, the best products, the best people to maintain all this. And then they still got breached. So with that in mind, there's no silver bullet in security. Otherwise, we'd be in a wonderful place in the world. Um, but we have to understand that we eventually will get breached at one point. But how do I set up and be the most successful when that does happen? How can I paint the right picture like Capital One did in reducing my footprint and say, I know only these got attacked and this is all that I have? So a lot of that comes through multiple different steps there. Um, you can obviously do security best practices. You should be applying your patches to all your endpoints as fast as they come out. Obviously, everybody does regression testing to make sure the patch won't break anything. But put the patches on as quickly as possible. Obviously, make sure you have a good, strong you know, perimeter security. Your firewalls, your antivirus, your email scanners. You know, Most of the attacks come through phishing right now. It's a malware download through an email. So make sure you have a good, strong secure email security posture. Um, the endpoint protections. How do I protect against unauthorized software running? Can you do something, you know, that's maybe of a whitelist, blacklist product on the endpoint to block all that? And then normally just policies and procedures. You know, who has access to do elevated accounts? You know, who has domain admin on your environment? Um, who has the ability to modify those permissions? Um, we All that should be very restrictive on actually who has that and then tested on an annual basis to make sure, do they still need that permission going forward? Another step should be thinking about is what kind of compliance do you have? Are you tied to PCI uh, or HIPAA or GLBA or anything similar to that? So each one of those, you have to keep data for a certain amount of time, right? So for PCI, it's at least 90 days. You have to be able to online and searchable, and you have a one-year retention around that, you know, where HIPAA is up to seven years of data that you have to keep online and searchable. So we need to keep, take that in mind. A lot of customers get breached or obviously financial data sets. Um, and they want to make sure that they have that year, year long retention at least. And this is really um, the idea of taking that data. And like I mentioned with PCI, you need to have 90 days searchable, but you want at least a one year retention. So we have to find a tool that can take this data, but also archive it off. So I want to gather the data, make it searchable through a web interface or something similar, and then archive that off for long term storage, which is always accessible to bring that back in. And we also found out that many of these breaches um, obviously had the attack data inside of them. So a lot of the companies, and we just recently had an email yesterday talking to one of my other customers, that they actually said, I got breached recently, and the, the data was in my logs. I just didn't know how to find it, or I didn't get alerted to it when it happened. So a lot of these people will say, all that, the data, the, the key indicators that I did get compromised was there. I just need help finding that and alerting me in real time. And that's why we really need some kind of log aggregation, centralized log management around with alerting. Um, and in Greylog, where I work at, obviously, we do have that ability to take those logs in, give correlated events across multiple different data sources, and, and alert you. And with that, you know, obviously, understanding centralized log management, I want people to understand three key things that I think they should look for in any log management solution. Um, a lot of this would play into the previous things we've talked about, but one is geolocation tagging. You know, like I mentioned before, if you know, she was able to break in and log on from a different location, that's normal. Or if you're logging in from a different country, let's be alerted to that. So if you can have a log management system that does geolocation tagging, that's that's a great step in the right direction to tag that data because you can create rules and alerts based around that data. 
You know, like, why should anybody from you know Russia log on to you know hospital access records if that's not needed? Or you know, maybe like you have your system administrators, they they've uh, somehow compromised an account now they're logging on from Brazil, um, even though they're sitting right across from you during the middle of the day. So stuff like that, let's alert and tag on that one. Uh, the second one really is around threat intelligence. Everybody knows there's threat intelligence feeds out there from the FBI and Homeland Security. Um, there's also publicly exposed ones like OTX feeds and um, command and control type lists that you can take in and enrich your data. So let's take all those IP addresses from all your logs and look at different threat feeds and say, is this part of a known command and control network? If it is, alert me. Tell me that it's happening. Um, you can also download known bad MD5 hashes of these are the known bad files that shouldn't be running in your environment. And with centralized logging, you can key on those and alert when you see one running or just do broad sweeping searches to find them. And then the last one is really around alerting and correlated alert. So you have some basic alerting and correlating alerts where they're talking across two different data streams. Um, but then some examples around that is like if you're in a financial institution and you do loans, you know, should there ever be a time when a teller logs on, changes the loan rate down, makes a loan quick and then changes that loan rate back up all within a five minute period? Obviously, that's some type of fraud. We want to be alerted to that. And a correlation engine can help find that type of activity and alert you that in real time. Maybe as well, if you're more of a bank and you have a key management to doors, to your vault bank door, right, and you have a tag or some access code, let's record that and bring it in. And then you can tie that around times and say, well, the vault now should never be open past 5 o'clock at night, and it should only be open by certain guys that should be in the office on certain days. And we can tie all that through correlation rules as well. And then really just last time, last thing in here is just the reports. So besides getting real-time events on this, I think a lot of people want to have reports all around, you know, creating new user accounts in the environment. It's always a key that something's happening if you have a pretty static environment, uh, as well as creating any type of backdoor processes and new software running in your environment. All that can be done through a reporting mechanism of a centralized log management server. Those are kind of my recommendations, kind of where to go, what should people yep. be monitoring and, and finding out. Certainly, I think we've covered a lot of ground here talking about, again, the symptoms of a data breach and the best steps for remediation. So thank you for your time today. So that was Nick Carstensen, who is the technical product evangelist with Greylog. And for Information Security Media Group, I'm Nick Holland.